and welcome again to the 2023 Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. I am Bob Hayes, a second year Sloan MBA, and we have a fantastic panel today, performance under pressure. Starting with Brad Stevens, president of basketball operations of the Boston Celtics. We have Steve Magnus, performance coach and author. We have Sue Bird, deep breath, we got a long title here, WNBA champion and Olympic gold medalist, co-founder of A Touch More and together, and we have Michael Lewis, author and journalist. 10 minutes of questions, our hashtag today is performance under pressure. We're gonna to get to as many of those as we can. Submit those questions via Twitter. And with that, I will turn it over to you, Michael. Thank you, Bob. Uh, so thank you, the three of you, for showing up. How, how nervous are you? Are you feeling, is your heartbeat, you feeling anything? Steady. Is it? Are you more or less comfortable than you are at the end of a game when it's close and you have the ball in your less hands? Less comfortable. Isn't it interesting? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I want to start with you. I want to start with Sue. We have, a, so we, have a, we, have a, we have a player, someone who's worked with players, and someone who's thought about people who work with players. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and th th we're going to go in that order. Okay. Um, and just your, your relationship to this subject, uh, particularly the upside of the subject. Uh, being clutch. Mm -hmm. At what point in your life does the thought cross your mind that I'm good under pressure? Um, I have a lot of memories from being a kid hitting big shots. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember, is there a moment where a narrative started to form? Like, yes. And what's that moment? So, my AAU team. <laughs> was trying to qualify for nationals. Right. And back then, nationals was where you got seen by college coaches. Right. Mm -hmm. so there was a lot of pressure, even at an early age, to, to make this tournament. And we got upset, and we had to do the whole, like, win 18 games in one day just to qualify for the finals. We get to the finals, and my team was down one point, and I got fouled. So I got to go to the line to shoot two. How old are you at this point? I'm like, probably like 14. OK. Yeah, 14, 15. Yeah. And I make the shots. If and you'd... then it was like, Sue's clutch. All right. So if, you, so, so, so if you'd missed those shots, yeah. do you think Sue's a choker would have been the narrative? I don't, hopefully not to my face. No, no. But you think, <laughs> do you think that like, your whole life turned on that moment? Or do you think that this was, eventually this was gonna, that was going to be the narrative was going to be what the narrative was going to be? Um, I want to say it was going to be what it was going to be. But who knows? If that gets implanted in my head, maybe it changes. Do you believe there's such a thing as clutch performance? I do. You do. I mean, we're in the Bill James room, right? And Bill himself, who's here, uh, has misgivings about the whole idea of, it, of clutch performance. And you look at statistics and data, and it can, you know, we're going to put that to one side because there's no point in having that argument up here. Okay. But um, no matter how much data I showed you, you would still think that, Ed, do you think there's such a thing as choking? So here's my, my, my quick little ditty on this. I think that, I think that when a, pl a player is who they are, right. and they perform a certain way, right. I think clutch performers tend to just like continue their performance. Yes. And I think those that choke, when they, don't, they do worse. Right. So, so it's not like you're getting better under No, pressure. it's not that you're getting better. But so I guess, I, I guess the answer is, yeah, they do choke. And, and to be honest, I've seen players that when the ball gets in their hand, I've had people on my own teams where I don't trust them because the ball gets in their hand and like in late game moments right. and something changes. 
Right. Like their demeanor changes, the way they, their eyes look changes. And I'm like, give me that back. <laughs> <laughs> Get it out of there immediately. So I, I don't, feel that I way hesitate sometimes to use when the I word see choke. other people with a pen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but choke it's, is such a, choke is like such a tough word. I, I hesitate to use the word choke. Right. That it sounds just, like awful. I don't think it's as dramatic as choking. They just don't do as well. And you see that at the highest level? Yep. Like even in the WNBA, you saw that. that, that I'd have thought it would weed it out. Mm -mm. That any, no, it doesn't. Nope. So you're, you actually answered a question I had for you just there. So you don't actually think exactly there's clutch before. Clutch in your mind is you're still just as good as you always were. Yeah. You aren't, you aren't, you aren't being affected by the pressure. Right, right. exactly. Because the question I always have is like, if you're better at the end of the game when it's a clutch moment, why not just be better at the beginning of the game so you never have to have a clutch moment? I have an answer for that too. Okay, I wanna hear it. <laughs> I do think there are, and this, uh, this is for me personally, the beauty of the, the late game moment is, um, for me, my personality, who I am, I'm usually like out there orchestrating things, setting everybody up. In the clutch moment, I can finally be selfish. I have permission to just go do what needs to be done. Huh. And that permission for me, this player, right. I don't know if this goes for every player, that's all I need. Huh. That's all I need. And then everything just goes, it's like a calm, right. very, very calm place, a very right. clear place. My head's almost empty because I don't have to worry about all the other things I'm usually worrying about during the, the regular parts of a game. Did you, a last question before I, we go to, Move on. to coach. <laughs> um, and then we're all going to talk. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, did you ever in your career, and, and maybe, maybe we'll even broaden it out from basketball, mm -hmm. but it's hard outside of basketball, but did you ever have a coach or a situation or a team where the narrative got screwed up and you weren't thought to be the person who should have the ball at the end of the game? Kind of. I, as I got older, and now we have younger players who are more of the go-to players right. and just carry the load, I noticed that plays weren't being drawn up for me as much. Right. And I mean, I'm gonna pat myself on the back, but I just finished my career. We were in a series against the Las Vegas Aces. It was game three, we were 1-1. This is a big pivotal game. Right. And we were down two, and the play was not drawn for me. Huh. But they, we couldn't inbound it to who we wanted to go to, and so it just went to me. Right. And I still hit it. And I feel like what that tells you is they should have drawn it up for me. <laughs> So, well, I, no, but I, know, I noticed no, my last couple of years, the play was being drawn for me less, but it didn't mean I didn't get the ball because that's basketball right. and stuff doesn't So happen. there are a million questions I still want to ask. <laughs> okay. right? But, but when, you, when you're in the moment, in the moment, like when you're about to take the shot, when you're taking the shot, do you have any self-awareness, like what's going through your head? No, not much. No, you're not, you're not thinking. Mm -mm. It's just, you're just being. Just doing. Are you feel any special tingle when you know it's a big moment? No, not until after when it's not until there. after. So it's just it's just being the same. All right, Coach Brad. Wait a minute. So I just realized I was an inconsistent Division three player. And the way that you define choking, you have Sue Bird and a choker and a mental skills coach in between us. And I'm I'm a little worried that I'm the choker up here. No, we don't use that word. It's a bad word. No, it was good. You know, I mean, I, I agree with everything she said. I would have given it to her, though. But, <laughs> well, let's talk about you. you, you never mind your playing career, which was distinguished, uh, but you're just your coaching yeah. career. Um, so 
you're in a position of having to figure out who should be put in the spotlight in difficult moments. You're in a, actually, do you think, do you, when you have a team, can you see that some of the players are better in these situations than others? I mean, your best player is usually on the court at the end of the game. Right. But you ever had your right. best player not respond well to pressure? Well, I think everybody has had their moments, but there's a lot of factors that contribute to that. Yeah. And the other teams out there, too. You know, we're not just, um, you know, working in an in empty office, right? right? Everybody, there, there's a physical element to this that is very, very difficult. Yeah. Um, and, but I think that when you talk about the people that are out there, I certainly have had moments where I've like, one of our players has had it, and I'm like, give it to Sue. Like, we, that, let's go that way with it, right? Right. But I think you build, you know, from a coaching perspective, your whole job is to take the luck out. Your whole job is to do everything you can to make sure you're prepared for everything so that your team's prepared for everything so that you can make sure you control everything you can. Right. And the special emphasis on the end of the game is important in that, in my opinion. And there are things that you build habit-wise that hopefully your super talented players who don't have that variance as the game gets clutch, right, can lean on. And the people that need to be in role playing next to them, you know, right. they know what their role is if the ball finds them. When you, I'm thinking about, I don't know if this even applies at the NBA level, but when you're coaching Butler, you're famous for taking these teams that no one expects to do that much and they do the great things. So you're bringing stuff out of players that people maybe didn't know was there. Did you feel like you were cultivating in players the ability to, to perform under pressure? I think you can teach, I think you can teach um, tasks. You can teach doing your job really well. You can yeah. hammer home the idea that this is your role in this moment, this is your task in this moment. Yep. And if you operate it well, if you do everything that you can, then you're gonna do well if you focus on that. And you know, I do think that we had several times over the years where I felt like you know, the, I actually said give the ball to Sue or give the ball to Tatum or give the ball to whoever, right? But it's also good sometimes if they're the screeners and somebody else has to get it because everybody's solely focused on them so your team can be clutch in those moments if you can take advantage of the extra attention that they are getting. But again, that, that requires you to prepare for those moments, to make sure that your team knows what their roles are in those right. moments, and that you believe in them, that if the ball finds their hands, they're going to make shots. And right. it, is, it is really fun to be a part of a team when you look at it at the end of a season and several people have made last-second shots to win games. Yeah, That's when you know you've got a unique situation, I think, because you've got a tough-minded team, but more so a job-focused, task-oriented team that can focus on what they can control, can block out things that don't matter, and can operate under that pressure. Do you agree with what Sue's definition of clutch here, that it's just maintaining the level of performance in spite of the pressure, as opposed to actually finding some weird reservoir and with yourself to, to be better than you normally are? Yeah, I was talking to Mike Zarin about this, and Mike told me, you know, obviously people's, the best players are the clutches, right? So they, they're probably the same the whole time. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, they probably don't change a ton over that time, but you do have a ramped up, intensity, you do have a ramped up focus, and you also in the NBA have 46 minutes of information. 
right? You don't know at the start of a game how they're going to guard this or this. But a lot of teams don't throw you something new in the last two minutes, right? right? You may have seen it before, especially as you get into a late seven-game series. And, you know, the intelligence and the emotional intelligence to operate and do your job in that moment, too, is a, a part of that. Right. I think the, the character trait that I've, I didn't probably have that is so unique are I cared a ton, and I think all these players care a ton, but then there's this thing about some people where it's like they, they miss it, they miss it. Right. You know, they're not worried about it. They have, they have guts to take that moment and handle that moment, whether good or bad. Right. Have you had players who you could see couldn't handle the moment? I don't know about handling the moment. No. I, I think, let me, let me just use me as an example. Like you would, really wouldn't want them on the free flow line because, they, they, because they'd be uncomfortable. With no, I, the, I would go the other way. I mean, obviously, if you're in a, like, game seven and, you, you know, like, but I would go the other way, especially in the regular season. I'd be like, I want everybody to go through it. Uh. I want everybody to experience it. I want everybody to show themselves either to come up short and to come back the next day and handle that or to nail it and, you know, build cultivating off it. of that. Yeah. yeah sense of, so that last question before, because I, I know Steve has something to say to that. But I, did, there's a quote that, that um, Bob, who prepared me for this, he pulled out of one of your like, – from, from your past. It was a Butler player who was explaining your 2010 Final Four run. And he said that when the, there were big runs that Syracuse and, and Kansas State made, it, made you call timeout and brought them over. He says, Coach called a timeout and said a few calm words. Then he said he believed in us, he loves us, and we're going to win the game. And I, I, I just love that. And I, I thought that Sometimes you're introducing you a kind of emotion there. But, but some of my... But, I wonder if, it, if you try to create an emotional kind of climate well, around think, those yeah. situations. So I'm not up here because I'm clutch playing. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm pretty, I, can, I'm, I know that, right? Uh, but I've coached in a lot of games. And I do think just like players have to build those habits in those moments and know where they're going to be and feel confident that they know how we're all going to function as a team, yeah. a coach has to be prepared for that. And for me, when I wasn't even, or when I was on edge, it was maybe when I didn't feel as good about my own input right. and preparation. I learned that early on as a head coach, and um, you know, I, I made sure that I was always prepared for every scenario, especially at the end of games, because that's where you, know, you need to know how people are gonna guard you, you need to know how you plan to attack, and you need to know what you are gonna be facing on the other end, and if you don't, then you can't expect your team to perform well in those moments. But so that's my job. Was it, but is it part of your job to sort of manage the emotional states of the players? Sure. And I think what I, I guess what I was saying, a long-winded version, was if I'm even, they'll be even. Right. Or we've got a better chance. If I'm on edge and running all over the place and I'm, you know, late to make a decision, if I'm scattered in a presentation in the huddle, right. then it's probably not going to be helpful. Right. All right, Steve. Um, you're in your bio, I don't think that Bob said this, but, but you know, you've written books and good books and they've done well, but there's a little item in the bottom of your bio that made me wonder if this was what attracted you to this subject. It said you once ran a four minute and one second mile. 
And now, that's a very fast time, but there's something about that time that just jumps out at you. You missed it by just that much. You and, know, thanks for and, reminding me. No, no, and I'm wondering whether, um, like, that, that has been li you've been living with that and trying to understand it ever since. This uh, is this is why you're the master. No, I just it's just a thought. I because mean, just, you don't. Everything Sue said about you know when I was 14, I made this shot. Well, let me give you my athletic career. Um, <laughs> actually, that's what we're here for. Yeah, yeah. not not anyone who's actually good, just me, the runner. Um, yeah. So here's what happened. I was a good runner. When I was my freshman, sophomore, and junior year in high school, I missed the state meet by one spot. When I was a senior in high school, I missed making nationals by one spot. My senior year in track season, I, I ran that 401 mile, missed it by one second. I then ran between 401 and about 404 20 times. So I'm really good at getting close to yeah. being good at something. <laughs> But then falling short. Yeah. So I think you're absolutely uh, We're onto something right. here. Yeah. Okay, so you want to know what was going on in your brain. I, exactly, and I think that's where I was getting at is like my own failings. It's almost like teaching, right? The best, at, the best people often don't teach. It's the level below. Like that's why I wanted to explore that. So talk a little bit about like just the physio physiology of performing under pressure. Like what these two just said that resonates with your work. What's yeah. going on? Yeah. What's going on in my brain when, when I've got the ball in my hands and when she's got the ball in her hands? Yeah. So what I love what they both said because it, it lines up perfect with the psychology and, and neuroscience really of it, which is that whenever we get some sort of stress or pressure, at first it's almost like an inverted U. Like at first it helps us. And what happens is it narrows our focus. It's almost like a filtering mechanism. It puts our focus on what actually matters. So when Sue says, like, all I can see is this, everything's blocked out, that's our brain going, okay, high stress situation, like focus on the things that matter. The problem comes when we go from like pretty good, optimal, and we go over the edge. And that's where we see the quote unquote ch choking. And what happens in the brain is that as that kind of physiological arousal goes too high, it turns off this area in our brain called the prefrontal cortex, yep. which is essentially the thinking, executive function, the skill part. And when that goes off, it gives free reign to this area called the amygdala, which is essentially our, our threat sensing, danger sensing, emotional area that just goes through the roof. So when we look at choking, it's often we've gone too far, that amygdala is going wild, and we experience it as like this catastrophizing spiral right. where we just you know, can't get out of it. And we all know it when we see it. When the, Absolutely. When the Dallas Cowboys place kicker is coming to kick the extra point, you just know that's going on in his brain, right? Yes, and I mean, it's really- It's funny, because you see, I mean, nobody, I think nobody would deny that choking you don't like the word, but sorry, we just got to use the word. All right, okay. I'm probably, I'm probably, I just felt bad. I'm probably offending you at some deep level. No, no, not okay. me. The other people. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, is this true? Is this true in your life? Have you ever choked? Yeah. Okay. When? Well, I've missed. Yeah, that's different. But you, there's a difference, right? You 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 don't make every shot when I when. Choked? Yeah. Have you choked? Have you ever felt that? What he's just like saying. Someone's gonna find the. <laughs> where my you went no, the other no, no, way? Yeah, where, you, where your brain went, oh, you knew afterwards I clutched up a little bit there. I, I, it went too far. 
Not in basketball. I have a soccer memory. Does that count? Yeah, that counts. What is yeah. it? I missed a penalty shot when I was in like, I don't know, eighth grade. And look who you're married to. I know. Uh, yeah. Don't tell her that. Yeah, you, so you, and you actually, but you felt the thing where, where you were thinking about it. Uh, no. Oh, I just well, missed. So, well, just missed. That doesn't, that doesn't, I don't remember that's what we're really the, talking the, about the here. The choke aspect. What about outside of sports? Where you have, where you... There's an outside of sports? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, but, I'd have to think about it. Right. I'm sure it exists. I'd have to think about it. Well, just to, to continue with the brain for a minute. Yeah, sorry. How do you explain why, why would this happen? Like, what possible purpose could this serve? So it's to, uh, to have this choking moment. Yeah, it's a survival mechanism. It doesn't look like it. Yeah, it, it, well, what it is is think of it, it's, uh, it's almost like our freezing response. Right. Where it's like, oh my gosh, like we're in this situation, like what do we do? Our brain just kind of shuts down because it doesn't want us to think. Right. It just wants us to escape the danger that right. is there. So in sport, and this is why if you look at the research on choking, when does it occur? When we have like an audience, when we have others around us, we actually are more likely to choke when our, our family's around. And the reason behind that is because our self goes into protective mode. So instead of going like physical protection, our brain goes like, I'm protecting my sense of self because I don't want to be the failure. That's wild. Yeah. That's interesting. You just explained why I pitched poorly when my father was at the game. So, it, yeah. you know, more, yeah. more than one athlete, especially college level, I'd have to like go to the parent and be like, hey, you know, they got the championship coming up. Can you just yeah. like skip this one here? <laughs> like don't show up and the player performs better. It also, I mean, when you see, explain why, does this resonate with you at all? Like, I, even in your playing career, do you, did you I'm ever- I'm more about my parenting career. I know, I was like, uh, Well, that's interesting. <laughs> really, like, a game yeah. <laughs> By the way- Uh-oh. Brad is going to leave early to go see his son play in a state, <laughs> state playoff championship game? Not championship. State, pl state playoff game. Yeah. So you're going to go, and he's going to go choke. And now, you, <laughs> and, now, and now you'll know why. Now you'll know why. But it, it, it's, um, so. It, Hopefully there's a lot of traffic then. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but does this, you know, you, you kind of skipped over a little bit. Like you, like you just sort of assume your players will all learn to function under pressure. You put them in the situations. You have them have, six, uh, you know, eventually some success in the situation. Um, and I could see how that would really work. I mean, I, I, when I think of it, I think of, you know, you, when you're 14 mm -hmm. and you hit the free throws. And that's the beginning of a story. And the story just never changes, right? It's, once you get the story, you're kind of set. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how the story will carry you through lots of situations once you've got that story in your head. I had, when I was a kid, similar situation. And it's made a huge difference in my life because I let that story happen and I tell that story over and over. And it stops me from, in moments of you know, horror, from like going to that place. Uh, but a lot of people don't have that story, or a lot of people have the opposite story. Now, they never become NBA basketball players. Maybe they never even get the butler. But I'd have thought, I'd have thought you'd have some experience with like, player, mental, mental coaching. Like you have, to, you have to help a guy along uh, to get to a place where he feels confident under pressure. Absolutely. Um, How do you do that's it? That's part of coaching. Yeah. That's part of, you know, if, if you need to, um, you know, tap into the experts like Steve, right? You, um, 
I think. Do you have such people around the Celtics doing? Sure. Yeah. At this and level. A, and, a lot of, and a lot of our players work with people outside the Celtics in, in talking about that. I do think that one of the things that we try to do is, is when you're talking about performing under pressure, I do think if you have a thousand messages, it's hard. And so, like, being on one page, making sure, again, we all understand what our role is, our task is. We all understand that whatever happens, you know, we're going to put our best foot forward and we're going to live with the results as long as we control what we can. And I think that that's, that's what you do and that's what you talk about. And, and I think you're consistent in objectively reviewing how you did. Right. Because, you know, if Joel Embiid's shot counts that he threw in last week at 75 feet, that has no bearing on how we played up to that point. Right. In fact, Derek White did the right thing by making him turn and take another dribble. Right. Right? Like, it had no impact. That either went in or it didn't. Right. And I know that they always say make or miss, and, and I argue the shooting luck thing to death, right? Because I'm a coach, and I think we could challenge a little bit better, or we could do things a little bit better. But there is some of that. And so for me, it's, again, take the luck out, make it as clear-cut as possible what our responsibilities are, and then get better if we come up short. You're, you're kind of playing how you do this. You're a calming presence. You make everybody feel, I mean, I've watched I you. I would coach. guess. Yeah, I would Yeah, I mean, you don't look like, several... you don't get all worked up. You're not screaming and yelling at them in the huddle at the end of the game or anything like that. So it's interesting, the Butler thing. So I got that reputation. I'm right. not sure I am that reputation. <laughs> um, but I think part of it was, especially when you're coaching at Butler in the NCAA tournament, first of all, we weren't playing with pressure. We weren't playing with expectations. We had just played two months of that in our smaller league, in the Horizon League, where we were expected to win every game. Right. And so our pressure was really off. Right. And, and then also we're playing against teams that have bigger, stronger, faster players. And right. so part of what we wanted to make sure we were was as prepared as possible and as even as possible across the board. And so that was a conscious choice not to be demonstrative, not to lose my mind you know, because I didn't want them to be affected by that. And that probably ha was how a reputation that wasn't really true was built, right? right? But, um, but I do think like, that you have to think about those things. And, and it is, it is, there's a big difference between winning a bunch of WNBA championships and doing it again and again, or at UConn again and Where again. Where you're expected to win. That, that's an extra burden yeah. that we certainly didn't have at Butler. Right. You know, certainly when you coach or play for the Celtics, there's a responsibility and a burden that comes with that. That's right. a good thing in my opinion, but it's, it adds to it for sure. So I'm looking at you because I'm kind of, I'm curious. I mean, in a way, your relationship to performance under pressure is boring because you just did it and you always did it well and you never thought about it. And because you never thought about it, you continue to do it well. And you have a very simple, clean story. Uh, I hear what you're saying. You see what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. you get, you see, but, so we're, but let me. Yeah, I feel like I can add, though. Okay. The, you want me to add? Yeah, please. Okay. Yeah. Well, like, you do try to control what you can control. And I think as an athlete, you do try to prepare in ways. And preparation is a big part of this, this lifestyle. But I started going to therapy. Ooh, now was, we're getting somewhere. As I was entering my retirement season, <laughs> yep. more so for like 
post-life, making sure I was ready, you know, talk about some things. So sidebar, that's the answer to your question of the times I've choked. I found that I choke in my like um, personal life in ways. Huh. I don't always show up in the right way or say the right thing. I don't, it doesn't always happen. And where, what I learned in therapy is what helped me succeed as an athlete isn't always what's going to help you succeed in a relationship or as a partner, as a sister, as a daughter, whatever. So that's a whole other panel for, no, we for can, next year. We can work some of that <laughs> in here. But anyway, I say this to say, my therapist said this to me, and I was like, oh, yeah. And as it turns out, she just gave words around what I've always done, right. which is you really are just preparing for the spontaneous. Yeah. And a lot of people like to control and be, and, it, and I think a lot of athletes, maybe it's lack of talent or maybe it's fear. They control when they get scared. We all do it in our own ways. Right. We like to control. And I think what I've always tried to do in my workouts, in my practice, in practices, is just try to communicate to my teammates even, like, this isn't going to be perfect. Like, so they're going to draw this play, and we're going to try to get it to Brianna Stewart on the block, but we're probably not. Right. So be ready for that. Right. And be comfortable in that. And I feel like the more... So I don't have an answer on like, how do you make somebody more clutch? Right. But I have found in my own experience, and I was lucky to have those experiences at a young age that right. did tell me that story. I found like, oh, the more I'm like, okay with this not going the way I think it's gonna go, yep. the more calm I'll be. It's, yep. Oh, this is no surprise. Of course the play doesn't work. Right, that's a meta it. level of this. It's, yeah. it's, it's an awareness of having to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Yes. So that's definitely a big part of it. Athletics. Every game-winning shot I could yeah. tell you about, it, didn't, it did not get drawn up that way. And, there, and some... Except yours. Yours get drawn up and they work. <laughs> yeah, but other teams are out there too. Keep going right. back to that. Like, yeah, Brianna Stewart's going to be the, the focus of their huddle. Sue Bird's mm -hmm. going to be the focus of their huddle. I, I love that idea that you prepare for the spontaneous. And that, again, goes back to like an emotional intelligence in the moment and an ability to read in that moment. Right. And that's part of repping, too, and, and building, a, building an understanding of how to play and how to read different defenses and understanding what the other team wants. And Did you ever that. find yourself in the position of having teammates who had discomfort with expectations and pressure and discomfort? Mm -hmm. And did you ever have to help them through it? Ish. Uh, like, as, an, as a teammate, um, at, some, at some point, there is a ceiling on what you can do because oh. you're, you're their counterpart, you're their equal. Yep. There's no real authority. But as I got older and I became more of a, like, just this veteran, this coach on the floor, and I got looked at differently, you know, for a long time, I always, I mean, I'm sure I've said this joke on this stage. It's like I was the dazed and confused guy. Like, I, you know, I was getting older and they were all staying the same age. Right. I've, so, seen, I've seen your interview where yeah, you meet where one of the mothers. Of, yeah. the, of your teammates, and she's exactly, she was born on your... Yeah, we're the same birthday. Yeah, yeah. I was like, 1980? Yeah. Like, yeah, I was like, okay, great. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a little odd. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so now these players are a little younger. For me, as a teammate, not a coach, not any kind of authority figure, if you will, it was just about giving them belief. Like, that I, this player on this team, this Olympian, whatever you want to call it, believed in them and encouraged them to continue to take the next one. Right. That's, that's how I saw it play out. Right. But I think what I've learned, and I think this is, for, again, specific to me. Somebody said this to me recently, and it really clicked. It's like, I can have, and there's a lot of people in this room, I'm sure. It's like, I'm having multiple conversations like, with myself at the same time, like at all times. I'm just holding a lot in my head. And I think that has helped me be a clutch player. Right. Because I know, again, the, the, the prepare for the spontaneous. 
if they take away my jumper, okay, I'll go to this. If they take away that, I'll go to that. And I can handle that, where I think some players, when you tell, when they want to do one thing, but you take it away, they, don't, they can't just go to the next. It actually probably shows up more, to be honest, defensively in clutch moments. Really? When you have to get the stop, because now, you, you are not dictating anything. Right. So you're, you're just reacting. You're trying to maybe force this player left or whatever. Right. But the minute it doesn't happen, you know, and the minute it changes or the minute the clock goes under eight and you're up three and now I can foul, to like have that moment where it clicks in, I just think there's something to like being able to, to carry a lot of conversations at the same time. Right. So, you, I was, yeah. You know, like, so what do you think? No, there's some great psychology <laughs> behind that. And if you look at the research on clutch performers, is that there's a couple of, of different traits that stand out. One is a sense of control. And what you're describing there is like you found a way to take this uncertain, uncomfortable situation and have some sense of control because like you know what you have to do, but you also know what you have to do if it goes this way, this way, or that way. So it's, you don't get caught off guard and have that almost alarm reaction where it's like, oh, it didn't go as drawn up. Now it's time for my brain to spiral out of control because you've already got like option B, C, and D there. Well, I think a lot of people don't prepare for that. So once option A is done, it's like, oh, it's done, spiral out of control. I don't know what to do. When you, you worked with athletes who've got, who have performance under pressure problems. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when it happens, it can be so dramatic, right? Rick Ankiel or Chuck Knobloch or catcher, catchers with the yips or Ben Simmons at the free throw line or whatever it is. I mean, but it's just amazing when you see it and you know the field goal kicker. I don't know why anybody wants to be a field goal kicker. It just seems to me that that is just like, it's all downside. Everybody's waiting for you to have that moment. And then you're, the next thing you know, you're an Ace Ventura pet detective, right? And, and it's, it's uh, so you're working with people who, who are living this problem. And it's a horrible problem. And it, it takes many forms, right? Stage fright would be one of them, right? Just like paralysis in front of a crowd. Um, what do you do? Like, how do, you, how do you kick them out of, how do you get the Dallas field goal kicker, Cowboys field goal kicker, after the third miss, off to the side, and, and make him more comfortable going in to kick the fourth, fourth? In the game? Yeah. Okay. So, two things. First off, you've got to figure out how to give him some foundation, because yep. his brain is just spiraling, like catastrophizing like crazy. Right. So, you've got to, it's kind of like what Brad said earlier, it's like, if you're anxious, they're gonna be more anxious. So you wanna be that calm presence right. because emotions are contagious. There's some great research on that. The other thing is you want to get them to have like some of the foundational like sense of control, like decreasing that worry, um, letting them know that like this isn't the end of the world. You're trying to get them to zoom out. Right. So that's number one. Right. And that's hard to it's do okay in to that moment. It's okay to miss. Yeah. It's not the, so that, that at the bottom of your thing, I bet, it, you kind of thought, you're going to miss some of these, and that's okay, too. You're still clutch. Yeah. Right. Okay. And the yeah. second thing that is, I think is harder in some ways is, like, their brain, their, if we could look at their adrenaline levels, they're already through the roof. Right. You can't just instantly go back. So you have to almost use, like, tricks to get them to... Uh, think that their, their brain and body are calming down. So if I was at Dallas Cowboys kickers or standing next to him, I'd like right before he went up to that fourth kick, I'd take his face and just dunk it into ice cold water. 
Really? Yes, because what happens is a physiological trick. Oh. It's called the diving reflex. It will plummet your heart rate for an instant. And because your heart rate goes down, you think like, oh, okay, I'm a little more calmer. I can get it done. Wow. All right. So, and then you just, you know, there's a couple different things like that, but in that moment, it's really freaking hard to get out of that spiral. Right, what about out of that moment when you're just working with people who have, the, who, are, who are living, yeah. living with a problem? So what I a loved what both of these guys said essentially is that um, the brain is predictive. So if you've got those reps that are pretty good, you're always gonna go back to that. Your brain goes, yeah, I've kind of been in similar situations. Like we're okay, we don't need to sound the alarm. Right. If you have missed three field goals in a row, instead, it's like uh, someone who's afraid of heights because something bad happened, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the brain goes instantly towards, no, we're in danger, sound the alarm, like, you know, go crazy. What you have to do is you have to dislodge that a little bit. Uh. And the way, hey, this sounds really weird, but the way I like to phrase it is, you have to do crazy things while doing that skill. So for instance, if you have a pitcher, there was a wonderful example with a professional baseball player um, where he was suffering from the yips and the performance coach had him pitch at a gun range while a gun is going off right next to him. <laughs> and what does that do? Well, you have the gun that kind of signals that like internal like alarm, right. then you're pitching. So what you're trying to do is like dislodge that like predictive mechanism a little bit for you to realize, oh, I can still perform, I can still pitch in this situation. So how much artillery would you need next to Ben Simmons <laughs> while he's practicing free throws before this ceased to be a problem? You know, there's other things you can do too, which is, so I said the brain's predictive. So um, one of the things, again, doing crazy things is the environment tells them to like perform in that way. Yeah. So one thing you can do is like just totally change the perception to dislodge that like connection. Right. So something like shooting free throws um, in the pitch black, uh -huh. because that will shift your perception away from like what you normally pay attention to and force you or your brain to pay attention to other things, which kind of dislodges that connection a little bit so that hopefully you can like start forming new patterns. Have you ever done this with a player? Anything like this? Uh, no, no. Um, but, <laughs> I, but I love it. And it made me think about, we had a speaker, I used to do a round table in the summers and we had a speaker, a really neat guy, Noah Kajiyama. He's, a, he's at Juilliard as a psychologist and, and he said, um, if you want to talk trash to a musician, praise their technique. Yeah, make them think about it. That's right. So well, this like every time, I, I, don't, I don't play an instrument, but when I play tennis, I'm always like, man, that was perfect height on your toss well, that's... and your elbow looks good. <laughs> you know, I, I've tried to do it. It hasn't worked great. But, you know, I, we've all sat there at the free throw line and said, do you breathe in or out when you shoot? Oh, yeah. right. Everybody grew up doing that probably. And, Certainly, that was one of the more famous ones when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. um, but anyways, <laughs> Make I've, it got to, I've, got to, I've got to go soon. I'm sorry. You, you know, the pressure is getting kind of hot. The pressure is getting hot. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking about being on this panel and, like, I'm not clutch. It's getting towards the end. Sub me out. Yeah. You know, there's probably a lot more clutch people right. out here. But thanks for joining us. It was a pleasure. Thank yeah. you, everybody, for having me. Yep. I appreciate it. Great to meet you guys. Great to meet you. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck, Thank you. yeah. Thank yeah. you. We'll need it. See ya. See you soon. Yeah.
So this is, you're a highly intelligent person. You're very articulate. Um, I, I'd, I would have said, as a rule, I'd have thought, um, the ability to perform under pressure is inversely correlated with intelligence. That the more you're- Prince's bliss? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I grow, playing with the kids I played with growing up, that was always pretty clear. You were better off not being too bright. And that the brighter you got, and I'm wondering, is there any truth to this? That is that connection with the, you know, the thing that runs, thinks, is sing, thinks the bear is running after you. Is, that, is it related to IQ? Is it related to anything else? I have no, no idea, idea if it's related to IQ, but I, I mean, I see where you're If you were a little stupider, you think you'd have run 359. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. I, I actually do. I mean, that, because like, yeah, there we go. Part of it is like, so part of that, like, is being able to shut that, that mind off. Yeah. Or focus it on things that actually matter. Yeah. Yep. Instead of things that like don't. So in, in endurance sport, we call it like you have the angel and devil on your shoulder that are talking to you. Right. And if you can keep the angel talking, you're going to be okay. But too often what happens, especially if you tend to be an overthinker, yep. that devil just keeps talking, talking, and eventually you give it attention and then you're done. Right. What do you do with that kind of person? Is this room full of them here, I bet. <laughs> what do you do with someone who's overthinking? So you've got to give them coping strategies to um, shift their attention. Because all it is is like we tend to overthink when we get caught up on the things that cause us that pressure, right. like we focus on so in running. I would always, you know, I'd come by three quarters of a mile and you'd look at the clock and you'd see it be maybe a little bit slower. And what does that do? It gets you going crazy thinking. Right. So instead what you have to do is kind of what Sue does, you know, naturally I guess, right. is like make sure there's somewhere for the brain to go that is productive right. and not destructive. Right. So we got some audience questions here. Can we do those? Yeah. I'm just going to read them. I'm not going to evaluate them. Uh -oh. right. um, what's the most pressure you've ever felt in your career or life in general, and how did you handle it? Mm. We'll start with you. Um, in my career, um, I, think, I think the free throw scenario is always the one that has the most pressure, because there's more time to think. You think about when choking happens in sports. It's always when you have a little time to think. Yeah. The field goal kicker, the pitcher, the catcher throwing back. You know, it's like it's 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 not the things that are just reflexive. No, it's the right. it's the free throws. And I have I have made game winning free throws. I have missed game winning free throws. Right. I've luckily made more. And right. that that's what makes somebody clutch is that right. you've just done it more than you've missed. Right. Or you do it the level you normally do it. Right. Right. Yeah. You're, not, you're not worse. But so but that can't be in your sitting in a free throw line. Can't be your. Oh, the most pressure. Am I? Yeah, you're. No, I'm sure. You, you probably didn't feel the pressure even when you missed. It depends. Have I, you ever felt pressure? Yeah. Where then? Of course. Like where's oh, the pressure? This does feel like we're here. We're here to talk. <laughs> yeah. We. Um, the most pressure. Well, I'm very fortunate in that I don't have the pressure of like feeding a family. Right. I, I grew up middle class. I didn't have the pressure of providing after I made it. So I feel very fortunate in that way. So financially, I haven't had some of those pressures. Um, I think the time I felt the most pressure basketball-wise was going to, um, you know, Brad brought it up, going to Connecticut. Huh. Um, but even then, like I like to say, like when I got there, the University of Connecticut, they'd only won once. 
So I didn't go there when they had won eight, nine, ten times. Right. You it's created pressure for other people. Yeah. Basically. Sorry about but that. But you kind of dodged that because we were all, no, we, we, we'd moved on from basketball to life. Yeah, no, no. Oh. Yeah. And I, and I was just like the most pressure you felt in your life. In my life. You, I don't feel any pressure. Moment, you don't feel okay? <laughs> all right. No, I'm sure there's things. Um, huh. I don't know. All right. I mean, now we're getting real personal. I don't know. Okay. How, how deep I want to go here. Okay, you can think about it. <laughs> Aside from the the 20 times you ran a 401, uh, uh, what, what was the, what, what's the most pressure you felt? In life? Yeah. Oh, sport. man. You can are do we, sports uh, if you want to do sports. Are, People uh, are going to be much more interested if you have some sort of screwed up life story. Great. You're going to, yeah, That's where I'm not trying, that's where I'm trying <laughs> not to go. <laughs> All right, so we'll just go there. So at, at some point, my running background, um, I was involved, I was a witness for a anti-doping case in, uh, you, for USADA. And part of that was you had to sit down for about 10 hours and get grilled on all the evidence you were, were giving from the other side. All right. And that was the most pressure, anxiety, whatever you want to call it, in, I've ever felt in my life. Huh. You, did you manage your pressure like self-consciously? Did you know, I need to do this so that I don't, don't go to the... Uh, yeah, you know, fortunately I failed enough in running, so I was prepared for like <laughs> how not to fail. So I, I did a much better job in that, but uh -huh. it's, it's, you know, it's difficult. Uh, this is a question I think about it because I've got I've still got a kid who's an athlete and I watch I watch the the, the way he res the way the environment actually is, doesn't encourage always bring the best out of him. Um, where do you think existing training approaches fall short of supporting athletes' ability to perform under pressure? What can be improved that you think actually is within the well, within the realm of improve, of possibility? I think is probably what they meant. Like, what's, what's bad about what we're doing, especially with kids, and what's good? And what do you, how do you make it better? Sure, kids, um, lots. So I think, you know, it's, it's, again, I'll go back to what Sue experienced. Like, that story that occurs is really important. And that story, where does it start? When you're a kid. That's right. So with youth athletes, we have to think about, are we engendering or engaging the right view of, like, performing under pressure and failure? Or kind of are we, you know, pushing negative ones? And often because, you know, I don't know, youth sports, youth parents, we put so much pressure on them, on kids, and then have the wrong view of failure, seeing it as like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you lost. Like, look at, look how you messed up, blah, blah, blah. Right. And all that does is make you like predict the wrong thing in the future. You're like, oh, you know, if a 10 year old misses the whatever game winning shot, and coach, mom, or dad, or whoever yells at them, all that kid ingrains in this story is like, don't screw up. Right. And you don't perform well when that's don't screw exactly up what you thing. don't want to be thinking. Exactly. Right. Right. You have any thoughts about this? I mean, the only thing that, that came to mind was, was something I touched on earlier, which is I feel like in practices, I'm sure sometimes coaches just want to get it right so they feel good about themselves. Mm. You know, or they feel good about the day. And it's like, you have to set up practices for failure to be able to like feel that too. Cause you can, it's very difficult to. What do you mean by that? Set up practices for failure. Like make it hard and make it where it's not gonna work out. If right. that means you have to add an extra defender. I right. mean, I don't, I've never coached. So I don't really right. know the, the answers to it. You create discomfort in practice. Yes, yes. And I feel like a lot of people just wanna feel good about it. Right. But that's not what's gonna happen in the games. Right. 
So you've got to simulate this environment. Yes, yeah, I feel like it's the only way. It's hard to simulate because you can't do the crowd and you can't do the, the, the pressure. So you try to maybe create it so people can, can get a taste of it. Huh. And then they have to figure it out on their own. Have you ever had a coach who did it well? Yeah, Coach Ariama did that really well. He did? Yeah. What did he do? Throw out extra defenders. Really? So Just make it so yeah. impossible. Right. And then when you got it, you were like, it was a big F you to him. And then it was also like, oh, I can do this now. <laughs> I have confidence in myself to do this. And at a young age, that was really important. It, it's so easy to tear a kid down and so hard to build a kid up. And it's, uh, and the, the power, it's so, it's so easy to get them thinking, to create the bad narrative mm -hmm. and so hard to create the good narrative. It's an interesting way to create the good narrative is to put you in those situations that are really, really hard until you figure it out. Yeah. That was my experience. Huh. Yeah. Huh. All right, what's the biggest tip for developing self-confidence to, to stay calm under pressure? I'm still working on that. You don't know. You, you were born with it. You, you know, no, you have a little bit of the problem that you don't even know. Do you, I'm curious. Do you, do you even recognize in other people when they lack the thing you have? Yeah, you can see, like I said, you can see You can it. see it. But by the way, I don't want to sit up here. I don't go through life like, la, 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 I'm confident. No, 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 I mean, but you, but you, but I. I like at the Olympics this year, I actually told this story. At the Olympics this year, or in, sorry, in 2021, my last Olympics, I am known as a great three-point shooter. You can pretty much count on me. I'm like, look at my 20-year WNBA career. It's like pretty consistent, yeah. you know? Um, and I went to the Olympics in our first, I don't even know, two or three games. Oh, my God. I was like two for 18. And the Olympics is six games. You don't, it's not like you have a season to correct this. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit. It was, I was very stressed out about it. it well, really here we go. It really took a ding. Yeah. Is this the most pressure in my life? Yeah. It really took a ding like in my confidence to be like, and everybody's already, now this is a therapy session. Everybody's already talking about me. Should I, there were some conversations. Should I even be there? Yep. 41, uh -huh. or an aging point guard, let someone younger show up. So I felt a lot of pressure huh. that I needed to perform. I knew why I was there. So I, luckily I did have that. And I know what I do. Nobody else does. I was very confident in that. But then when you go out there and people who love stats, yeah. Don't see your stats. Don't see the proof in that pudding. Right. It can, it can build a stress. I was very stressed. But at that point in my career, I was also very lucky that I had a lot of experience to draw on. Right. I've gone through slumps. Right. Every athlete does. Yeah. And I know the only way to get out is to not think about it. Yeah. It's so the you only keep... way. You just got to throw it up there. So I was, you I did... was splinging that thing. That's great. So, you, so at no and point. eventually. You, yeah, it went in. Eventually, so it, it turned around, and yeah. I finished the tournament the way I would have liked to have started it, but eventually, it all evened Your out. Shoot, I bet I hit my averages. Shoot to get hot, shoot to stay hot. Yeah, exactly. Right. All right. So you, you, didn't, it didn't, you didn't really adjust your behavior in response. No, but that's because I had experience. Right. So I'm lucky that, that I could call on that in my own way. Right. Like I actually felt. Right. Not just somebody telling me, like, hey, this one time I had a slump. That's not working. <laughs> right. I'm like, good for you. Like, that's not going to help me. I didn't feel it. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, she's spot on. Confidence demands evidence. So the more evidence we have, the more confidence is going to grow, and we're going to have different scenarios where we can look back on. I think the other part on confidence that sometimes we get wrong is that when we're talking about these like high-pressure situations, the like external bravado version fails. Like the fake it till you make it doesn't really work when it it's like the game on the line. What you have to have is that like deep internal you know, confidence that comes from like putting in the reps and doing the work for a really long time. Right. I thought of something. Okay. In life. You're just under, you, you, this, I know, this it's was quick. clutch. It's quick. It's this quick. was clutch. It's quick. 
All right. As a female athlete in today's world, mm -hmm. every time I'm on this stage, pressure. Every time I'm in front of the camera, pressure. Huh. Forget basketball. It's like every time I have to speak about things, as a female athlete, there's pressure. More pressure than a male athlete. So the pressure exists in that you're, try you're, you're trying to get people to invest in you and you're trying to, and by the way, this is an experience for a lot of people. Right. When you're trying to get people to see you a certain way, to value you. Yeah. But I'm speaking for a lot of people. Right. And so the pressure that, that you feel there, and right. again, this is no different from anyone in this room. Right. The pressure you feel there, that's the life pressure that exists for me. Right. Being a spokesperson. Right. You don't want to mess it up. Have you messed it up? Oh yeah, I'm sure. Do you know when you've messed it up? I do, I'm not gonna tell it though. No. <laughs> come on. You could probably Google it. Oh, come on. It's like every outfit I wore from age 21 to 25. <laughs> <laughs> one big mess up. No, I do have one moment where, I don't even wanna say it because you're gonna Google come it. Come on. <sighs> you're gonna Google it anyway. I only have four minutes. I, right. I, 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 did, I went on a local talk show and the guy wanted to make some dumb bet and I agreed to it. I was a kid, that's not the excuse, but I, I was 21. I don't even want to say it, just Google it. <laughs> oh, come on. He bet me, uh, it's like, I can't, I'm saying. He bet me, he was like, I bet you can't have a two to one assist to turnover ratio. Uh-huh. I was like, well, yes I can, I, that's like easy. And he was like, I can't even say it. I can't say it, you're gonna have to Google it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Because someone's gonna tweet that I'm saying it, I'd rather just be a Google. I kind of like seeing you uncomfortable. It's, I'm very it uncomfortable. took a while to get you there. <laughs> But we're, we got you there, all right. So um, you kind of answered this, but maybe okay. this will take your mind in a different direction. Uh, it, says, it says, all of us here have encountered high pressure situations outside of sports, key business meetings, critical deadlines, major life decisions. How do high pressure sports situations compare to those outside of sports? Why don't you start with that? What's, is there a difference? And what goes on in an athlete's mind, what's going on in a business meeting? So I think there's a lot of similarities. And I think performance is performance because the, the underlying like brain activity, the underlying like hormones are, are the same, right? So getting up and pitching a big business, you're going to feel that adrenaline and cortisol and stress hormones and all that stuff. I think what differs a little bit for athletes is like, you grow up in this situation since you're like, I don't know, you start playing from six or seven where you, there's an outcome, you know if you win or lose, and like you get this long training on it. Yeah. Where I think often what happens in the business world is you don't really experience that to a high degree right. until you get in your 20s or 30s or whatever have you. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think um, the greatest thing about sports is like you won or you lost. You did or you didn't. It's not as, it's not as nuanced. It's not as what's someone looking for. It's People, cleaner. Yeah, it's yeah. cleaner. Whereas, like in a business meeting, you're being judged on a lot of things that, you know, aren't as tangible. Right. So you don't necessarily have control. And the only thing I would say is, as the athlete sitting here, I, it's way harder in a business meeting because I didn't prepare my whole life for that. Right. So it's all, it all comes back to that preparation. And you don't even know at the end sometimes whether you won right. or you lost yeah. or whether what you did could have been better. Or yeah, it's, it's easier to manipulate the story in your head if you're in the business world. It's harder to do that in sport because like, everybody can see the result. You are what your record says you are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Which can also be bad. <laughs> all right. These two want to come up. Um, they have a surprise. Hi, 
Hello. So, this, uh, Sue, we're going to honor you with the Lifetime Achievement Award. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, wait, let me give the background before, though. Or you can get you. Can I, wanted, I wanted to hold oh, it. Hold it's, a good, it sure. it's for the visual. I'll come over here. Get out of the way. Um, here we go. So, so what year is this? This is an alpha award. Seven? Seventh. Okay. So, Sue came to the conference the first time seven years ago and was worried about talking about analytics. And then what Sue did is the next year she came, she wrote an article in the Players' Tribune about how women's sports, there wasn't enough analytics around it. And as a result, it raised awareness of how little was being done about women's sports. And as we like to talk about, data and the creation of data is so critical. And now women's sports is certainly getting a lot more attention because there's the data to drive interest and engagement. And so we wanted to recognize you, you. Uh, as a, one of, you can explain what the Alpha Awards are. Well, the Alpha Award is, uh, it's about creating true value. So that's, it's like a term that means you have your, what true value you're creating, and then you have your beta, which is like the variance around it. So you have created true change uh, in data analysis and to your career, and you being, as you just talked about, the pressure of being someone who represents a lot, uh, and we wanted to recognize that. And to, to give the NBA some credit, because of Sue's article and lots of people's work, the WNBA has the same, just as good information as the NBA does now, so, uh, which is pretty, uh, pretty amazing. So, so well, thank you. Thank you, thank obviously. You. Uh, thank you. Thank you, guys. Woo! Um, Unexpected, first time I've been called an alpha. Um, <laughs> no, but obviously with moments like this, you know, you can't create or ha write an article, you can't talk about these things without the platform that you guys have provided. So thank you for always inviting me back, for allowing me to do all these kinds of panels. Um, it is also a creator of change, um, not just for everyone in this room, but myself included. So thank you very much. And you're retired, so this happens And I'm retired. Now. These cap and more. <laughs> thank you. And thank you to thank Michael you. Lewis and Steve yeah. and Brad uh, in Absentia. Yeah. So. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you.